Welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.08. This week we're actually recording from a secret location. We are. Uh, we're not going to tell you guys where it is, <laughs> but we got a little fire going and, mm-hmm. and just trying something new here. Uh, and so the topic that we're going through this week is what exactly is glory, according to Scripture, and what does it mean to glorify? My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the primary teacher of Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I'm a student studying youth ministry, pastoral leadership, and psychology. All right, so our guest for this evening is Craig DeLuca. Craig and I met a couple years ago, uh, more or more than a couple, I think, through a community group. Um, And then he recently, I guess two years ago, took the Know Thyself. And then he signed up for uh, an unpacking study, and he got hooked. And so he's done most of them since then. And I really do appreciate Craig's dedication. Uh, I know he he really enjoys these, so he keeps coming. He comes to every uh, every session that we do. I really like his perspectives. There's certain things Craig and I connect really well and that we agree on, but also there's, we definitely are different on the spectrum. Uh, and so it's nice kind of getting that, that it's a safe, you're a safe person to push back on. And, and, well, and, and yeah. Um, so anyways, so I, I've wanted Craig actually to come for a long time to do these podcasts. So we finally got him uh, into this glory one. So welcome Craig to the, to the podcast. And I know of course you've been listening to him too. So now you'll get, you'll get to come back and actually listen to, listen to what, uh, till you do this. Yeah. So anyways, so, so welcome to the podcast, which, which unpackings have you done already? And, and what is it that, that keeps bringing you back to them? So of course I've done glory. Um, I've been in fear, uh, knowledge, and power, um, prayer, love. I think that's all that I've been in so far. And um, I keep coming back just because, one, I like to figure out if what I've been taught about a topic is true or not and if I need to change my perspectives. And then the other reason is it's just intellectually stimulating to to Mm -hmm. be in these things, and I really enjoy it. Let me ask you a question. Uh, and, and we're putting you on the spot because now this is in the, in the, in perhaps ahead of time. Um, you said, so I want to be able to know and kind of test that what I'd already been taught is accurate. What is it about these studies that like where if I've been taught X, but the study tells me it's more like X prime, what is it about these studies that gives you more confidence that it's probably the more accurate rendering? Well, mostly because of some of these topics, like for example, fear you hear in passing and a preacher's talking about one or two verses. And in this, we just tear apart a bunch of verses. And instead of hearing it from someone, I'm reading it and being able to look into what it means in the Hebrew or Greek and then find out what it's truly saying for myself. Right. And so it just, it broadens your perspective. um, And it's not just the perspective of the person that's reading it to you. Yeah. There is something to be said for actually doing these studies more than just listening to the podcast. We wanted to, to do the podcast and do season three so that anybody around the world can still listen to the summaries of all of them. But if you're in Lynchburg, um, there's something to be said with actually sitting through the four-week study and seeing it firsthand yourself. Or if you're not here, but you keep, you've seen the pattern of how we go about doing this and you have some software that can help you find all the verses, then you can always just do it on your own. I do know I've got a, a good friend in California that they're putting together like a, a Bible study or a, a, a girls' community group, and they're talking about using some of the podcasts and, and doing some of these episodes, which, which I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so great. Um, oh, also, which would you say is your favorite or, or either your favorite one that you've done so far or the one that kind of had the most impact on you? So I think the two standouts would be fear and love. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I get more intentional, I think prayer will eventually have the biggest impact. But 
Long fear term. and love in the short term have had the biggest impact and my perspectives have changed the most. Yeah, so we did love just in the previous episode and then fear we're doing a couple episodes from now. So cool. All right, so as always, we want to do a quick uh, summary. If, if this happens to be the first podcast episode you're listening mm-hmm. to for the season, um, what have we been kind of going through so far leading up to this? So Zach, why don't you go and give us a quick summary of, of all the first seven or eight episodes that we had? Yeah, so we've been doing, a, we've talked about a lot of different topics. We started out with just an introduction to unpacking and really just what this whole process looks like. Then we spent two episodes talking about scripture. So we talked about the what and why of scripture, uh, what it means, how we got it, that sort of thing. And then also uh, the how of it. Uh, then we moved on to talking about hope, just holding on to positive expectations and really defining that. Uh, then we talked about heaven, which is really uh, just the fullness of hope and right. what we can be hoping for. Uh, we moved on to a discussion on faith, and so defining that as belief plus trust and getting into what it actually means to have faith. And then we moved on to maturity, which is really that leveling up of faith. And so what it looks like to really take it to the next level, like we talk about in season one with water walking instead of just riding uh, on the on the boat. And then last week we talked about love. And so love, we really defined with an emphasis on Mark 12. Mm -hmm. And so saying that it's the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so heart, just that emotional component of love, uh, soul, that loyalty and commitment aspect, mind, really trying to understand another person in that patient forgiveness, along with strength, which is really that active component of contributing to another person's well-being. Then we also talked a lot about the importance of love, which really uh, segues well into what we're talking about today because we were seeing different verses about how like love is the greatest commandment Mm -hmm. and it sums up the law and the prophets and all this different thing. So we really saw um, how the Bible puts a special and unique emphasis on love. Right. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and that, that episode of Love was almost three hours, right? You yeah. just give like a one-minute summary of that. So we definitely <laughs> yeah. encourage you, if you haven't listened to that one, to go back and listen to that one. Because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking earlier today, what would be, if I had to pick three, and I, including the ones that we haven't recorded yet, just I, I know it's coming down the road. If I had to pick like three episodes, if someone says, I can only listen to three episodes, what would the three be? I would tell them to listen to the Scriptures Part 1, which gets into like how the Scripture was formed, why we should listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, love. And then the evil sin one, which we're doing um, coming up here shortly. Yeah. Uh, those, to, those are to me, th- you know, three of the, the big ones. So, mm-hmm. so definitely encourage you to go back with that and love. So, with that, so the point that you were just making, Zach, um, this has been a journey for me learning to phrase this appropriately. Because um, sometimes, like when I'm pushing back, I, I I'm, I'm focused on the wrong thing, or mm-hmm. when I'm pushing back, maybe I'm rightly pushing back, but the I overemphasize it. Yeah. I've had some some of the guys, Craig and, and Ian, some of those guys point out to me that a lot of times if like issue X is over exaggerated in the church or it's overemphasized. And I feel that with, cause let me back up for a second. One of my key hopes with rekindling and with the unpacking is that we begin to align ourselves more with scripture, mm-hmm. both by definition and vocabulary. Um, and so like, we can say, Ooh, I've always felt, you know, I've always defined this word this way, but the Bible defines it this way. Yeah. I probably need to start changing my definition to that or the wording that I'm doing. So if like, like, like for example, the guard your heart, a lot of times when you hear somebody say that today, they're talking about dating guard your heart. I think is mentioned twice in the Bible, maybe three times, never with dating. It's actually talking about guarding your heart against your own temptations. And, and it's not a dating thing. So you want to, I, I get the point that someone's trying to make when they use that phrase, but that's mm-hmm. not how the Bible uses that phrase. So we should use it the way the Bible does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, 
when when I hear a lot of that churchese, uh, or this this Christian speak that we hear all the time, as I go through these unpackings, I'm like, okay, I see your point, and I might not even really even disagree with the point, but that's not the way the Bible would phrase it, and so mm-hmm. I want to I want to push back on a little bit. So that's that's one of my my motivations is I want to try to get as close as I can to the way the Scripture defines something, the way the Scripture uses something. Sure. So in that, if if the church has started overemphasizing something, and I realize, ooh, they're probably overemphasizing that more than the Bible does. Then I try to get them to pull back a little bit to emphasize it at the same level the Bible does. But what I did in the process was I almost de-emphasized it. So you know, you guys are pointing out, Shannon, we get your point that we've the church is overemphasized. So yes, we should pull back. But what you're doing is you're pulling almost all the way back yeah. um, to kind of counter. What to the opposite doing, extreme, to the opposite even. extreme, yeah. and don't be doing that. And, I, and I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I can't, I can't deny that, right? So I'm trying. So I'm so in this. I say all that to say this issue of love and glory that I've long pushed back on glory language. That whenever somebody, you know, a, a Christian was talking about, you know, to all all glory be to God, or as long as God gets glorified, it never sat well with me. And so I pushed back on it, but I pushed back on it too much. And so now I'm, I'm in this journey of tempering it. So, so that's why I was excited to do this glory study because it's a chance to make sure that I'm not de-emphasizing it. Um, and so, so with this issue of love and glory, there was two reasons why I, I pushed back on the language. One was a lot of times people are, are talking about God's glory or glorifying God, but it's hollow and insincere and that had always bugged me so I, was, I I shouldn't be pushing back on the glorifying I should be pushing back on the insincerity of it yeah. Um, yeah. or the immaturity of it and then the second point and this is what we talked about last week in the love study was the sheer volume of verses that talk about the greatest commandment is to love God and these three remain the faith hope and, and, and love and the greatest of these is love and all the laws are summed up in this that you love one another and you can do all these great things but if you don't have love they don't count all that language i'm like man it's really hyper emphasizing the importance of love Mm -hmm. and we see glory and glorify all throughout scripture but not always addressed in the same way and so and and we'll come back full circle we'll discuss this more once we've explained the glory but the reason why i put love and glory as back-to-back episodes is i think both are important and what we said last week is i do think there's a greater emphasis in scripture on love than there is glory. So I wanted to do them back to back so people can listen. Cause, cause a lot of times when you, cause I've, I've even had people tell me when I start using this language, like, cause I, I used to say things like love trumps glory. I'm, I'm trying to even pull away from that kind of language. People really get their hackles all you know, in, in a bunch and they push back on it. And so we wanted to walk through a whole episode of love and then a whole episode of glory. And then at the end here, we'll come back to this discussion. But what yeah. I'll say up front, and this was this we mentioned this back in the love study is trying to make sure I'm phrasing this as accurately as I can. Here, here's my conclusion ahead of time, and then we'll come back to this uh, at the end. Is that our long-term, final, ultimate goal or command as mature followers of God is to love Him, to have just the definition that you were just going through, Zach, mm-hmm. to have that deep affection for Him, to choose to remain steadfastly loyal to Him, putting Him first in our our lives, beginning to understand Him more and be more patient, you know, with His timeline as we contribute to His well-being in, in a plethora of ways, so that we can then love ourselves and others in a similarly incredible fashion. Mm-hmm. So that's that long-term fi- final ultimate goal. The, our initial goal or command, the, the most important up, up front, is to glorify God, uh, is to begin to reckon, and I'm going to, I'm kind of cheating, um, spoiler alert, given the definition, <laughs> but to begin to recognize his resplendent heaviness, sincerely and deeply reveling in that, 
and then opportunistically to reveal that resplendent heaviness to the world. So anyway, so I just wanted to touch on that so we can kind of segue the love episode with this episode. Then we'll come back kind of freestyle. You guys can give your insights and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's go ahead and, and jump into the study. It's so always, you know, that, that quick reminder that there's, we, we split this into four sections or there's four questions that we're trying to, to uh, aim to answer. And so we're looking at first, what is the original wording and, and what's the definition that we're trying to achieve? Then we go through working through all the nuances and the details and such. Then we look at the benefits, the motivation to actually embrace this. Um, and then we look at uh, the application of it all. So with that, so let's go to the first section. So the first section is um, we're going to go through the terminology and the original wording wordings. So I'm going to pull my notes up here. So so what I always do right from the very get-go when we're picking a study is to pick the family of words that we need to look up. So the And, and, and as always, we use the New American Standard uh, Bible when we're, when we're using the software. So I looked up uh, glory, glorify, glorious. Those words show up 236 times in the Old Testament, 224 times in the New Testament. There's definitely an overlap with praise and honor. So praise, we looked up, it's 254 mentions in the Old Testament, 38 in the New, radical difference there. We looked up honor, 116 times in Old, 65 in New. We looked up worship, 110 times in Old, 70 in New. Uh, Also exalt, 94.23. Boast, 34.51. Majesty and majestic, 49.7. Worthy, 5 and 45. Bright and brightness. So this was one of the things when I was going through the, the, the words and look up the Hebrew and the Greek. Some of the words that were translated glory could also be translated bright or splendor. So we end up looking those words up as well. So that uh, bright and brightness is 33.6. Then we looked up shine, 22.16. Splendor, 28.1. Radiance and radiant, 7.2. Dignity, dignified, uh, dignified, 4.6. Magnificence and magnificent, 4.2. Glowing, uh, 5.1. And grandeur, uh, grandeur, or grandeur. Uh, two times in the Old Testament. Now, some other overlaps was great and greatness, but that's mentioned like another 900 times. So the great and greatness, so we're, we're going to keep that as a separate study. Uh, and then beauty, which is like 111 times in, in the Bible, but that becomes its own study as well. So so those, those were the family of words that we looked up. A total of 1,560 mentions, 1,003 in the Old Testament, 557 in the New. So this concept of glory shows up once every 1.3 pages in the Old Testament and about 1.5 mentions per page in the New. So it's actually even more frequently mentioned in, um, in the New. So those were the family awards. So then we look up what were the actual Hebrew and Greek words that we had. So one of them um, is kabod or uh, kavod. Uh, oh, I just, yeah. Anyways, that's about 200 times. The, the word means, the, the, so this is one of the main words for glory in the Old Testament. And it means weight or heaviness. And it can be translated abundance, honor, or glory. Next is rum. To be high or exalted or lofty, rise, to be raised or lifted up. Next is uh, Shinnok, which is to bow down, prostrate oneself in reverence. Um, then we have Halal, which is where we also get Hallelujah. Those two words are mentioned 123 times and 23 times. It means to be boastful or to praise or to shine. Or the Hallelujah, the noun, is, is to praise the Lord or praise God. And kabod, to be heavy, weighty, or burdensome, to be or to make honorable or glorious. So that's the adjective of the 
kabod or kavod that we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And then yada is mentioned 111 times, and that's to throw, cast, shoot, to give praise, thanks, to confess. I was just thinking shoot. There's no guns back then. I guess you shoot a bow. Um, and then to, to Hila, uh, 57 times, it's a praise or a song of praise. It's the idea of adoration or thanksgiving. Tefara, ornament, beauty, glory, splendor. Zamar, to make music or like to strike a musical instrument, to sing praise. Hadar is another word for an ornament or honor or splendor or magnificence. Adir, majestic, great, wide, large, powerful. And then also Had, which is splendor, majesty, vigor. Uh, Sagab or Sagab, to be inaccessibly high, to be safely high or too high for capture. Sabai, beauty, glory, honor, splendor, prominence. And then also Noga, which is brightness or brilliancy. And then par was mentioned a couple times. It means to beautify or glorify, to adorn or make gleam. And yakar, to honor, esteem. And real quick before you continue, if someone's listening for the first time and they're listening uh, uh, to us just rattle off all of these words and they're like, why are you doing this? How would you answer that? I think it's important for us to see that there are that when we look at the English versions of the Bible, there's a lot, there's a wide variety of words that actually are behind those words. Right. And so I think that's really the main reason we want to do this. We want to recognize that as we looked up all of those English words, these are all of the original language words that contribute to our understanding of what those words mean in English. And this goes back to Craig's point earlier, like, you know, actually getting to see all this, hearing us list rattle off a bunch of words may not be, uh, resonating with you mm-hmm. maybe it does maybe like ooh, they keep mentioning this word or that that idea keeps coming up right so you're picking up on this on your own yeah. um, but we at least want to put it out there because we want all the information at your fingertips mm-hmm. yeah so go ahead and continue with the greek yeah and so with the greek the word that we see uh used the most time 166 times is doxa which is uh opinion judgment of you uh, and view is always good or approval in the New Testament. It's uh, very apparent that something is the most glorious position or exalted state. Uh, and then uh, praise, honor, glory, and splendor. Then the other form of that word is doxazo, which is to think, suppose, be of opinion, to render or esteem glorious, praise, honor, extol, magnify, celebrate. Uh, again, to impart glory to or render glorious, the idea of being closed clothed in splendor appears here uh render something excellent to make it renowned to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest or acknowledged so let me make a comment on this for a second this is one of those things that when we're doing an unpacking study we're like what Mm -hmm. so when i was looking up all the words so we have you know so doxa is the noun 166 times and then the the doxazo is the verb of that which is 61 times so (coughs) excuse me so this is 227 times mm-hmm. that these two words show, which is quite a quite a bit for one word in the New Testament. Yeah. So the word doxa is just an everyday street word in, in ancient Greek, and it just means an opinion. And, I, and so I remember when we were doing the study, we're like, well, hold on a second. So all the times in the New Testament when Paul and the other writers are talking about the glory of God or to glorify God, the, the hyper-literal rendering of that is to have an opinion about God hmm. or to opine about God, right? Um, how in the world 
does the the Greek word for opinion get translated glory, right? So this is where I'm not an expert in all this stuff, and I don't know the full story behind that. It does make sense, right? Because like we said, uh, you mentioned that in the in the New Testament, it's always to have a high opinion of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the experts knew that when Paul talks about this this opinion of God, it's this high, exalted, unassailable opinion mm-hmm. because it's referencing his glory. And so they were able to put that in together. I just, I just found that really interesting. It, it kind of caught me off guard when we were, we were first doing the study. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, so those, those are two of the main words. Another word that's used 60 times is the, is the proskuneo. This word actually means to kiss. And one of the, the concepts behind it is, is like when you're, you're kissing something, you're fawning over something. Um, and the idea being like, like a dog would lick his master's hand. Now that sounds kind of like crass. We're talking about the glory of God, but it, but you know, dog owners get this. Um, your dog, you know, when your dog, you come home and your dog is just all, especially if the dog is a submissive go- dog, knowing his place in the in the hierarchy of, of the of the tribe, you know, or the pack. Um, and so when he comes to lick you, it's out of excitement. It's also out of submission. Um, you know, is the idea. So it actually, it was a cool, it was a cool color concept uh, when, when we realize that and so so the idea there is is a lot of times the way it's used in the new testament is to fall upon the knees in profound reverence and respect next is axios and it's of weight of worth deserving comparable befitting congruous corresponding to a thing and then uh, we also have Timae and Timeo, which is a valuing, a price, honor, deference, reverence shown to someone. Uh, and then also to fix the value, to price, to honor, revere, or venerate. You have Kautromai uh, is to boast or vaunt, to glory in something or boast in something's glory. And Hupso or Hupsu, to lift or raise up, to exalt, uplift, to the very summit of opulence or prosperity. <laughs> and then there's also uh, a pianos, which is praise, co- commendation, laudation, and approbation. By the way, we use, uh, I think, three different biblical dictionaries when we go through these. Mm-hmm. We use the Old Strong's Dictionary. We use the New American Concordance. And then there's another one I can't think of the name of that, that and the software is where we get all these. Anyways, and so then you have the exomologeo, which means to agree or confess or profess, to acknowledge openly and joyfully, to celebrate or give praise to one's honor. Next is lampros, um, which is bright, shining, brilliant, splendid, magnific- magnificence. I guess that's where we get the, get the word lamp. Yeah, yeah. Though I wouldn't say the lamps in my house shine and brilliant magnificence yeah, <laughs> yeah quite a, quite a good lamp if you, yeah. that's how you would describe it um also we have uh magluno which is to make or deem or declare great magnify to get glory and praise yeah that would be the so mega luno so mega like mega big that's where that comes from um and then we had two other ones the uh Ineo and epineo uh, to praise or extol, to praise or approve or applaud, to commend or laud. So those were all the, the Hebrew and Aramaic and, and Greek words that we had. So then, Craig, um, let's go right into, uh, so then we looked up the, so we take all those definitions, then we use the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and the Farlex dex- Dictionary to look up each of the key words from those definitions to make sure we're still tracking on all this. So, Craig, why don't you go ahead and continue with the notes there. Okay, so with glory, 
great majestic beauty and splendor, magnificence, something that secures praise, renown, honor, adoration, or thanksgiving, and with that, glorify, to give glory, honor, or high praise to, exalt as in worship. And then honor uh, means good name, reputation, high rank, uh, to regard or treat someone with adoration and respect, or to give special recognition to. And then praise is to express a favorable judgment of, approval of, admiration for, commendation, or to glorify or exalt. To exalt, to elevate by praise or honor or in estimation, glorify. Worship is a reverent love, adoring esteem or devotion, or a religious practice. To boast is a source of pride. That could be pleasure, satisfaction, high opinion of, etc. Majesty or majestic, sovereign power, authority or dignity, greatness or splendor of character, grandeur. Splendor is great brightness or lust, uh, magnificence. And then radiance is vividly bright and shining. Shine, to have a bright, glowing appearance. Bright and brightness is the radiating or reflecting light. And then great is something remarkable or outstanding or superior. Excuse me. In man, man, in magnitude, degree, extent, measure, character, or effectiveness. Worthy, having worth, quality that renders something desirable, useful, or valuable, merit or importance that deserves honor or esteem, to regard favorably with respect. So again, because you know I'm a visual person, so I think if I was listening to a podcast and they're just rant, you know listing off all these words, mm-hmm. my attention is going a bunch of different directions <laughs> and everything else. So, but for you who are auditory, you know you guys are okay with this, uh, and, and I think you know I would stop it and play it back and and try to take notes. We, we've encouraged you before in, in other episodes that to really be taking notes if you can as you're listening to this because the writing down will help trigger and click stuff in the brain, etc. Mm-hmm. So, but so just to explain again when we're going through this section of the unpacking study, we have, as we're going through all the definitions, we have everybody that's in the study, we have them circling the words that really jumped out at them, that really resonate with them. Mm-hmm. That, oh, I like that word. Or the words that are like, you know, like, grand, like you mentioned grandeur and I had mentioned grandeur. So, oh, that grandeur is mentioned twice. Uh, or the shine or brilliance kept coming up. Yeah. And so what we're looking for is in all these different wordings and definitions, what, what, what keeps coming up? And so like, like we saw worth, you know, come up a number of times. Mm -hmm. We saw this whole shining brilliance, radiance thing keep coming up a bunch of times. So we're starting to take some notes here uh, and make some initial observations on what are, what are we learning about glory right from the get go? Right. Yeah. So once we've done that, then what we do is, is we go through all of the scripture. And so as always, you know, we mentioned there was 1500 mentions. I forget how many people did the study, but there was 1500 mentions. And so we break this up over two weeks in old, old Testament and new. So in the packets and the handouts that we have for these studies, we split it into the Torah and then the historical books and then the wisdom literature and then the prophets and then the gospels and acts and then the epistles and revelations. So we have yeah. six sections. And so we, so we break it up into smaller components and then each person has their assignment and then they read through all the verses and then we come back that next week and everyone's sharing the insights they picked up on the patterns they saw, you know, et cetera. So we went through all, all of the passages, all, all the 1500 mentions, 
And we're, we're, we're taking all this now to put to what is the basic definition of glory and glorify mm-hmm. based on all the wordings that we just did and all the scripture that we found. One of, the, one of the notes I'll say real quick before we get in the definition is we saw that um, one of, some of the, the main points here is that God has glory or honor or value. He has this resplendent heaviness of the highest rank of inestimable worth. And thus, because of that, we're supposed to glorify him, honor, value, praise, worship him, meaning that we're supposed to pay attention to engage his resplendent heaviness and acknowledge it openly and joyfully. Um, and, uh, uh, as we, as we kneel and kiss in reverent, excited affection. And then also, um, and, and kind of sign up to that as you're doing that, you'll be passing it on to others. Um, yeah. and then, and knowing that, and we learned this with the verses and, and when we get into this, to the second section, the details and nuances, we're going to, we're going to come up with this more, but there were a lot of passages about God wanting to glorify us. And, and we'll talk, we'll talk through all that, um, giving us the quality of resplendent heaviness that we can then acknowledge openly, you know, and joyfully. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so all that to be said, what was the definition? And we're, we're each going to kind of give our, our own wording here. So my given everything from, from all the languages and from all the verses, the definition that I have, and this is where, this is another reason why I like the unpacking studies, because glory and glorified are, are words that we throw around a lot yeah. in the church, but you ask somebody, what does it mean? They can't always give an answer. And so when we finally, I was very encouraged by this study. So when we finally broke down, this is what glory means, and this is what it means to glorify, I was like, like a light bulb for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I want to be careful how I use that word. You know, when I talk about glorifying God, am I actually doing that, right? So with that, the definition of glory, in, in my wording, from, from my understanding is, at its, at its core, it's a resplendent heaviness. That would be my short answer. So when it talks about the glory of God, or it talks about that God has glory, what it's saying is he has a resplendent heaviness. And so that resplendent is that light, that shining, that brilliancy, etc. And then the heaviness would be that that substantive presence, his worth, his value. This goes back to the kabod or the kavod. The the literal meaning is you know is weight. And so back in the in the Old Testament, if you had like if you had two if you had two treasure chests, and I, and I said Craig, you can have you can pick which treasure chest you want to take. And and this is in ancient times. And one was a whole lot heavier than the other. Which would you choose? Um, probably the heavier. And why? Just because you think there's more in it, yeah, so. more coins or gems or whatever. So the idea, so the Hebrews in just ancient times, they tied in heaviness with worth, right? More value there. So, anyways, so my my understanding is when it talks about the glory of God or what is glory or just what is glory, it's a resplendent heaviness. So the glory of God is God's resplendent heaviness, and so the visual there is glowing like a heated metal in multicolored radiance. This comes a lot, a lot from Ezekiel, with a substantive presence and with great worth and rank. So let, let me read all that again. So the definition of glory is a resplendent heaviness, glowing like some heated metal in multicolored radiance with a substantive presence and with great worth and rank. And, and glory is often associated with, biblically, splendor, light, brightness, beauty, manifesting holiness, riches, wealth, prize, prizes, value, power, gladness, happiness, righteousness, and justice even. And so given that definition of glory, my definition of glorify, the verb, is to recognize the resplendent heaviness of something, revel in that, and then reveal it to others. I remember when we had this discussion, we had the whiteboard, and we were trying to piece it all together. It just, everything started coming together for me, and I was like, wow, okay, so to glorify God 
is to recognize his resplendent heaviness, revel in that, celebrate it, worship him, um, and then reveal it to others, which I would say is kind of the praise. Um, so, so that's, and, and that's associated and that was, so those are associated with praise, um, to declare the goodness or glory of God with joy and singing to honor or give honor or bring honor. That's to recognize and give weight to the rank of someone to treat with appropriate respect and awe to declare or proclaim God's majesty and splendor. And then to worship, to recognize the divine glory of God, to exalt or lift up and magnify or bring attention to him. So all that to say, these words of praise and worship and honor and glorify, they all kind of overlap. So the way that I look at it is, if you want to truly glorify God, the first thing that you're going to do is to begin to see, pick up on, recognize, and really appreciate his resplendent heaviness. As you're doing that, you're just going to begin to revel in it because it's so freaking incredible. Um, and so you're going to revel in it. You're going to worship. You're going to just you know sing and shout and celebrate, etc. And if you're doing that, you're automatically going to be getting other people's attention. And kind of the evangelizing part, right? To, to, so that they can see it, so that out of curiosity, they can then come to God and begin to recognize his resplendent heaviness. They begin to revel in it, and then naturally they'll begin to reveal it to others as well. So that was very, very helpful for me in understanding it that way. Craig, um, what was your definitions of glory and glorify? Okay, so with glory, I have both glory for God and then everything else. So God's glory is the essence of resplendent heaviness, prestige, and insurmountable value and weight worthy of praise. And then glory for everything else is having a value, honor, and beauty deserving of recognition. And then for glorify, I also have a God glorify and everything else. And so toward God to acclaim the value of, to exalt, to worship, or praise, and toward man or things— to increase the weight, value of, show significance of, acknowledge that something or someone has glory. Okay, so let's 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 hash this out a bit and just kind of talk. We're we're going off our notes there. Let's kind of freestyle this. So, without looking at your notes, just from from what has already clicked for you, if you're talking with your friend and they were talking about, so what exactly is the when the Bible talks about the glory of God? What does it mean? How would you say it? Well, there's, it's just his brilliance. His, um, if I were to compare it to something, um, I like the imagery of lightning um, because lightning is very bright. It'll light up the sky, um, and you feel it. You hear it. It shakes the building, and um, I don't know. It, it just does something, and it's like you can't pull your eyes away from it. There's so much power there, so much magnific- magnificence um, with lightning, and so I think it's a great descriptive imagery of what glory would be like so you had the visual and you had the auditory and you had like the physical or tangible right yeah so this reminds me of like the ezekiel passages or the revelation passage right remember we did the revelation study Mm -hmm. with john so so for you when like now so when you're reading a passage of scripture and it's talking about the glory of god filled the temple or whatever you actually are starting to picture like some sort of tangible lightning with the, the the shining the flashing all that stuff yeah right? the clap of thunder the, the the hair going up on the back of your neck just the excitement of it because i love lightning so so can we say this is the the it's more than just the appearance of god though right well yeah it's the i mean like we said with lightning it's you got the visual but 
you you feel it and you know there's mm-hmm. something in the air you you sense something's going on and the clap is like sometimes if you're close enough it is so loud you jump mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so that's why lightning does does it for me and even like the electricity right the hairs on your on your head and, and all that what do you guys say, Zach? Yeah, and I think another aspect of lightning is just that, that I think fits really well with this analogy of glory is just the fact that when you see when you see lightning, you just are intrigued by it and you want to see more. Mm-hmm. Like, because um, I also enjoy watching storms and uh, just when you see it, like you're just kind of sitting there waiting and then it shows up and you're waiting for it to happen again. And so with God's glory, like once we actually begin to see it, we want to see more of it and we come to get even more intrigued with it. And that makes me think of the fear study, you know, the, the, the 99% excitement, 1% afraid. Hmm. Um, so like if you knew you were safe as a kid, you get excited when you're watching these lightning storms, yeah, you know? yeah. um, but there's still a little bit of, okay, this is powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another example of this would be, I mentioned this before, like even heaven. When I think about the glory of God now, that this resplendent heaviness, I picture like, let's say the three of us sitting at, at some cafe, having a, a good glass of wine or something like that. And God's coming down the street around the corner. We're first probably going to hear him from a distance, like singing or whatever. Then we'll begin to actually feel his presence, almost like a bass, you know, like at a concert, those big speakers, the doom, and you just like feel him. And then we'll yeah. kind of, we'll kind of look and we'll see the glow his, his shininess, you know, the brilliancy, again, like a heated metal glowing, mm-hmm. then it'll come around the corner. And so that to me, you know, it's that glory of God. It's that heaviness. It's the shining. It's all that stuff, right? Yeah. And I think that we even see that in scripture when uh, like God is making the covenant with Moses. And so he comes down and his glory passes between the cow and everything. Like there is the element of just unsurpassable light and like you you can't look at his glory you can't do all this um and so there is that element of fear but then there's also just an element of just awe of like this is the glory of god passing through and so um I, i like what you were saying with the fear component of it if you know that you're safe and secure you it it can be that one percent instead of a much larger um amount of what it could be right so We'll get more into this when we get into the application, but I want to touch on it now. We use, I kind of feel like we use glorify more than we use glory hmm. in, in American church speak. So you hear a lot about, you know, we're supposed, we're supposed to glorify God and, and that, that, or we say that God gets the glory. Yeah. But typically what we mean when we say that is like he gets the credit or the fame. Hmm. I do think that's true. That's a part of what this is. But one of the things that was jumping out in this study is before we even get there, before we can talk about glorify, we want to talk about glory. And glory, it wasn't talking as much about fame or credit. It was actually just describing yeah. what it's going to be like to experience him hmm. visually, kinesthetically, you know, auditorially. So that was kind of cool. So for you, the listener, be thinking about that. Be, be, before you get into glorify, be focused first on, on the glory. And understanding that anytime you use that language or anytime you hear a song about glory or anytime that um, where you're reading a passage about it, this is going to take some time, but you want to start getting the imagery like Craig had with, with, with the lightning. Um, and again, Ezekiel is really good for this. And, and first Revelation 1 is really good with this. You know, John, John seeing the uh, Christ and he falls over stunned, right? He passes mm-hmm. out. So, so I, we want, we want to, and we're, we got so much more to say on this, but we want to be emphasizing that point that the glory of God is this shining, exciting, electric, heavy, 
It's just his presence. Yeah. Right. Because it's really the manifestation of who God is, is yeah. really what glory is. So I think um, something to think through as, because I've also heard a lot of people say, like, we need to give God glory. And I wonder if that's actually a very accurate statement, because if glory is just the manifestation of his resplendent heaviness, is that something we can actually give to him? Because in your definition of glorify, what you say is we're recognizing that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, just as church culture thinks about what it means to talk about glorifying God, we need to start recognizing that when we are living out our lives on earth, we are not so much um, giving glory to God as we are recognizing that he already has glory and letting that affect us. Do you remember in the study if we saw any verses that talked about giving glory to God? N- not particularly, no. I'm glorifying God, yes, but I don't know how we give glory. So I, so I looked up, I've got my e up here. Joshua 7.19, um, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord. First uh, Samuel six five, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. So hmm. you make it. So so the phrasing would say give glory, but you make a good point. Can we actually add to God's resplendent heaviness? I think not, as far as He is glory, and that's what He is. But we can add to it in the minds of other people. So our recognition of it, or our you know. Claiming the glory can increase the amount of glory that someone else sees God as. This goes to the perceived, though, right? Which we're, yeah. so we're we're gonna come back to that. Uh, we'll, yeah. go, we'll go ahead and say it now. Right. It goes to the yeah. It would be someone else's perceived glory. So we're not actually increasing the glory of God, but we are increasing the perception mm-hmm. of the glory of God to somebody else. Right. So this goes back to glorify. So so understanding glory. Mm-hmm helps us better understand glorify. And I remembered that there are, are two basic definitions of to glorify, given the definition of glory. So one definition is to make something resplendently heavy, which would be to increase, either to make, it's not resplendently heavy, you make it resplendently heavy, or you, you add to or increase its resplendent heaviness. That definition we cannot do yeah. toward God. Because God already has the perfect, complete, resplendent heaviness. Therefore, we can't give that to him. Yeah, so uh, just off the top of my head, I think an example of that would be um, if you you played high school football and you have a jersey hanging up in your room of your senior game. Like really, that's not – to a random person walking in, that really wouldn't mean very much. Um, but if you, you could in a way glorify that and you could add more, uh, worth to it by explaining, no, this was my senior year. Like this was the last game I played. I scored the game winning touchdown, like all this different thing can help another person. Um, and so is that more of what you're talking about, that sort of thing? And there you're not, this goes back to the perception thing because you're not increasing the importance of that object object the importance was already there. You're helping the individual helping better understand it, yeah. right? So that goes to the second definition of glorify. So, and, and quick, go back to the first one. To make something resplendently heavy or to increase its resplendent heaviness. We're going to come back to this when we get to the second section, all the notes and details. But we found a lot, it was really encouraging. We found quite a few passages that talked about God wants to glorify us 
Um, and it seems there in that context that he wants to make us resplendently heavy. Or like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that we'll have our, in heaven we'll have our glorified bodies, that the bodies that we have in heaven compared to the bodies that we have now, the bodies in heaven are more resplendently heavy, right? So anyways, so in that first definition of to glorify, it would seem that, I don't say all or nothing, but it would seem that God's going to make people resplendently or make things resplendently yeah. heavy, not us. So then you get to the second definition, which, so, so my wording was to recognize a resplendent heaviness, revel in it, and then reveal it to others. Can you, Zach, can you, re, or uh, Craig, read yours again? For God or for everything else? Uh, uh, go do, do both. Re, read to glorify God. Okay. God's is the essence of resplendent heaviness, prestige, and insurmountable value or weight worthy of worship or praise. Is and this glory then, or glorify? That was glory. Okay. And so, then glory for everything else was having value, honor, and beauty deserving of recognition. Okay, and so then glorify, read those. Glorify towards God is to acclaim the value of, to exalt, and to worship or praise, and then toward man and things, to increase the weight and value of, show significance of, or acknowledge that something or someone has glory. So, all right, let's break each of those down. So, to glorify God, you said, is to acclaim his the value of. The value of. And what does acclaim mean? Just to show it, pronounce it. Okay. State that it is, and then and then exalt is like a great a great degree of that, right? Yeah. So so for you then to glorify God is to state state or show his, his worth and value and resplendent heaviness and all that stuff, right? Okay, and then to to glorify somebody else's to what? So you can you could do the increasing the value of something or someone else. Okay. Um, you should, you could just show that there is a significance to something or someone else, um, or just acknowledging that something or something else, someone has glory. There we go. Okay. So now we're starting to, this picture starting to coalesce and we're still going to give some more details here in a moment to moment, but to, so to, to glorify something would include, well, so there's two different ways. One is to make something have more worth or more value or more heaviness or whatever. Um, and then the second one is that thing already has that worth. You're now actually picking up on it, recognizing it, acknowledging it, and acknowledging it appropriately, right? So right. if it has much great worth, then that's where you extol or praise it or whatever, right? So going back to these verses here, to give glory to God is not talking about that first definition. You're not giving weight or worth to him because he already has that. But giving glory to him means to recognize it. And one thing that I want to say is don't do this just in— this is why I really like the the recognizing, reveling in, and revealing— the reveling in it was, I think, like for you, yeah, of course, it was like understood. I know for me, I wanted to actually go ahead and verbalize that, that you're not, but I think you would agree with me, Craig, but if I'm, well, let me ask you, if I'm calmly, dispassionately recognizing that God has great value, so let's say we're just talking like, yeah, man, I mean, God, yeah, he, he, he's the, he's the creator of the universe. You know, he's, he's the, the uncreated one, right? He's the self-existent one. Um, he's that of which nothing greater can be conceived. Am I glorifying him? For me? Yes. Okay. On an intellectual basis, you are stating true things that show its value. I don't need 
you to be hyped up and excited to do so. Now, other people might need that, or it might make it even more pronounced, mm-hmm. but just stating it, it, it works for me. Okay, and, and do you feel that in the text of the scripture that the, when in the passage where it talks about glorifying God, it's it, it would also set the threshold at just there needs to be the intellectual acknowledgement or would would some of the or the text imply that there should be more of it even the reveling? This is I'm a good discussion. sure either text, you know, I'm sure it depends on the text. I'm sure some of them would say you just have to recognize and others would say, yeah, be excited about this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it, that comes down to like a personality style? Absolutely. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah, cuz cuz what I want to say is if you're not reveling, then you're not glorifying, but well, I, I don't think I can say and, that. And and we'll take um Singing at church, for example, some of the songs I really get into, but if you were to look at me, you Uh wouldn't notice because I stand there like I'm in the military and sing, but I'm feeling it. Whereas if you look to Mo sitting next to me, he's dancing, arms are up, and you would say, well, he's definitely bringing the glory more than than Craig is. But that might not be true. I'm possibly feeling it just as much as he is. Mm -hmm. I just don't express myself the same way. Do you think that if if somebody is, has intellectually acknowledged it and there's zero feeling behind it, that they're still glorifying God? That that I don't know. I'd have to sit down and talk to that person and see why. Yeah, they're they're that way. Because because what I'm thinking about um, is maybe like the re- so like I would say the rec- to recognize and then revel in and reveal. You and I both agree that recognizing is to acknowledge. Mm-hmm then maybe maybe we still agree there needs to be a reveling and we would both agree that the degree of that reveling and how that reveling is expressed will totally vary from person to person, moment to moment. But there should still be at least an, an ounce of some kind of reveling. Would you would you concede that? Yeah, I mean reveling and being completely cold is I, I, that just seems difficult. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Okay. Good. Zach, what do you think? Because I think if, um, if you were to just say, I love you, but there's no like expression, no excitement, no, there's nothing behind it. I really think that that shows that maybe you don't actually love that person to the Mm -hmm. extent that you're saying. And so to say that just intellectually, you can say, um, yeah, I, I glorify God. I think that there does have to be um, some sort of expression of that. And I think that it's important to note that it's going to look different from an introvert or an extrovert. Right. Like it's going to look different from person to person, moment to moment. But there does have to be some sort of mindset and heart change that moves past simple intellectual assent to mm-hmm. and to the actual like it needs to start affecting you in some capacity because like i think in james we see uh that faith without works is dead and so if you just say you have faith but there's no action coming from that then what does that profit you right. any? and so if you say that you glorify god but there's nothing there's no impact that comes from it what what does that actually do so can we say this can we say that it would seem that to glorify god there needs to be an intellectual component, an emotional component, and a verbal component where the intellectual is that recognition, acknowledgement. The emo- Again, the emotional, however that plays out from mm-hmm. person to person is a separate issue, but there needs to be some sort of emotional feeling. Yeah. And then also there needs to be some sort of verbal or communicative where you're then telling people about it. When you say verbal, do you mean more like action? Well, yeah. So how about expression? 
Yeah, because I don't think you would have to necessarily verbalize yeah, that. But even uh, I, I would say expressing that in some capacity okay. would be needed. And you would agree, Craig? Yeah, I agree. Expression, verbal is yeah okay. different, but expression would be right. Okay, good. So, the, so, so another way we can say this then is, if you're glorifying God, there's some sort of intellectual acknowledgement, right, of how awesome all His awesomeness, and then there's some sort of emotional reveling in that, where there's some sort of feeling that comes, whatever that feeling is, and then and then with because of that, that intellectual acknowledgement and, and emotional ex, uh, experiencing, there's going to be some sort of expression of that. Yeah. However, that expression looks okay. So with that in mind, then this helps me better verbalize why I've pushed back on glory and glorify so much. Is that I see a lot of Christians doing the expressing part, hmm. and. I think that they're doing the intellectual acknowledgement at the general principle, not actually at the detailed components. So, so they're, they're acknowledging that, yeah, God, you know, God has this glory. God is this awesome, but they haven't begun to actually pick up on all these little components of him, right? All the different nuances and details of his resplendent heaviness. And so what happens is they have some sort of general, how about that? They have some sort of general intellectual acknowledgement, mm -hmm. and then they have this, they express it. And to me, that's, I don't want to say it's insincere, but I want to say it's incomplete that I wish that not just at the general, they, they acknowledge it at the general level that they begin to acknowledge it at the in-depth detailed level mm -hmm. that there's some sort of emotional reveling excitement from that to whatever, you know, based on personality, whatever, whatever extent, degree. Yeah. Right. Um, and that if, if, so let's say for example, Let's call it A, B, and C, where A is the acknowledgement, B is the ex emotional, and C is the, the expression. They do a general A and the C. Hmm. And what I would like to see is a general A and the very detailed A and some kind of B. Then when they get to the C, to me, okay, now because I'm seeing a general A, a, a specific yeah. A, a B, and a C, now that individual is now actually glorifying God. Where if they're doing just the general A and the C, the expression, I'm not, I can't say they're not glorifying God. Mm -hmm. It's just they're not doing it to the extent the Bible would kind of want. And so I think there was some frustration with me in yeah. that. Um, and so that, that's, this, this is me just verbalizing this <laughs> of just explaining more what, you know, why, why do you keep emphasizing love and, and pushing back on the glorifying? I think that's kind of what was going on there. Yeah. And I think that part of it is also that glorify is a much more abstract idea. Like love, when you start getting into the definition of it, you can really begin to see how it affects your heart, it affects your mind, it affects your soul, it affects your, it affects your actions. And it's this active thing that you're doing to another person where glorifying is just a lot more abstract. Uh, and like you were saying earlier, Craig, you don't necessarily look like you're glorifying when you're singing because you're just standing there as opposed to someone who's moving around dancing, whatever. But that doesn't mean that you aren't. And so it's a whole lot harder uh, for us to look at another person and really uh, see if they are being intentional about glorifying, um, which really isn't necessarily our place, but it's just a whole lot harder to um, really know where people are coming from because it's a whole lot harder to express. Right. Do you think that that's another component of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, that's the definition. So glory, we're talking about depending on your, on your terminology, his resplendent heaviness or his worth or his value, or you mentioned, um, 
what'd you say? It's, it's the um, expression of him or who he is, whatever. Right. So that's the glory of God. And, and we're going to get more in the details here in a second. It's legit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're gonna talk more about that and then glorify can mean in, in some context to increase a worth or resplendent heaviness, or it can mean to, to have some sort of intellectual acknowledgement, some sort of emotional response and reveling, and then some sort of expression from that. So, so you listener, keep that in mind as we go through the rest of these sections. So we'll go ahead and segue now into the second section, which is given this understanding of what, what glory is and, and what it means to glorify, let's, we're going to elaborate on some of the details that we found through the, the scripture references and all that. So there was three main points here. One is there is a divine glory. So Craig already touched on this when he talked about how he separated his definitions between the glory of God and glory of other things and to glorify God and glorify other things. Mm-hmm. So there, there's definitely a divine glory that's especially embodied in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. So a lot of the passages that we were reading through we talked about how Jesus is the glory of God and things like that. So the, some of the some of the subpoints here, there's a, a burning, consuming light that glows amber like metal heated in a fire surrounded by a multicolored radiance uh, like a rainbow glistening in the rain this was from Isaiah 10 and Ezekiel 1 and so the idea here was more that visual component that we were talking about mm-hmm. that whenever the Bible talked about the divine glory that it, it, it repeatedly referenced uh, an amber glowing like metal heated in a fire and some sort of multicolored radiance like a rainbow glistening in the rain. So that helped, that that imagery was really cool for me. So here's the thing too. A lot of people when they try to picture God, they, they either don't picture anything because they're not comfortable trying to figure out what God looks like or they picture the traditional pictures of Jesus hanging on the church walls, the brown long hair and the beard, you know. That's how they picture God. Mm-hmm. And so what's cool is what I encourage people to do, this goes back to application, but when you're praying to God or when you're talking about God, when you're just thinking about God, I start to picture now this, um, and again, Ezekiel 1 and and Isaiah 10 and and Revelation 1 are all good passages for this. I start picturing like his bottom half, because I talk about his feet a lot of times, is this like a metal, like a glowing amber metal. Um, and then he's surrounded by like this sphere of like glistening rain rainbow. It just makes for a very vivid visual of him. So even like if I'm praying, I'll try to picture that. It'll change. <laughs> it'll change your tone uh, in your prayers. So so there, there was that component. Did you have? Did you already touch on your imagery? Yeah, the lightning. Lightning. That was my imagery. So so that so that's the the visual component. Then another thing with this divine glory, we learned it's like a great sunlight dawning in the gloom filling the heavens and whole earth, causing it all to shine and be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, enlarging and freeing the nations and increasing joy and filling the millennial temple to Israel's renown. This came from Isaiah 6 and 9 and Ezekiel 39 and Habakkuk 2 and 3. So that was really cool. It was, again, some more imagery that this this multicolored glowing amber mm-hmm. is ridiculously bright and the idea is like when he comes to the earth it just starts like rolling across the plains and just filling everything and when it does um, one it, it increases the knowledge of the lord so people are getting to understand a little bit more about him when they're seeing this um, and then two it, it increases the joy and causes freedom in people so one of the things is we 
I haven't personally experienced that yet. We see it in the, in the, in the Old Testament and somewhat in the New, where the, the people were sitting there, like when he came down and sat on in Exodus and sat on the mountaintop, and the, the light, just, this whole light just started rolling down the mountainside. I haven't got to experience that yet in, in, a, in a you know a real way, mm-hmm. but I know that I will get to one day when he returns. Actually, so Paul says in in First or Second Thessalonians, talking about the coming of the Son of Man, as lightning travels from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Um, and so know that, that, that all of us believers and non-believers, but hopefully you're a believer when this happens, um, when Christ returns, we're actually going to experience this firsthand and it's going to blow us out of the water. Um, and then Isaiah also, I talked a couple times about, uh, it, it was linking glory with a new name for God. I don't remember all the details of that, but I just referenced it. So the other thing with Christ specifically is I'm just going to read the notes here. Um, Christ is the dawn that will shine on those living in darkness. Luke one, the glory of the Lord shone at Christ's birth. Luke two, Jesus is the glory of the Father, though he had no majesty or beauty about him in the incarnation. Isaiah fifty three. So that was really interesting that he chose to hide his glory in the incarnation, hmm. um, and though he did not seek it, glory in the word becoming flesh. Uh, men glorify God because of all the healings and miracles that Jesus was doing. There were multiple passages to that. So that goes back to what does it mean that they were glorifying God because of Jesus' healings? They were beginning to recognize God's resplendent heaviness and revel in that and then reveal it to others. Um, Christ is glory to Israel and light to the Gentiles, Luke 2. Jesus was glorified by the crowds because of his teachings, Luke 4. The disciples worshiped Jesus because of his control of nature. Jesus and Moses and Elijah were glorified of the transfiguration. That was in Mark 9 and Luke 9. The centurion glorified God at Christ's crucifixion, Luke 23. Jesus said he must endure suffering to enter his glory, Luke 24. Uh, it's fitting that he was perfected through suffering so that we can get sent to glory, uh, Hebrews 2. Jesus will return in glory, multiple passages of that, and Jesus will display his glory in the presence of the elders in the millennium, Isaiah 24, and he will get glory and dominion, Daniel 7. So all, so all these are just some of the phrases and some of the specific passages we saw on the divine glory, and you see two elements there. You've seen the whole shining, brilliant component of that, mm-hmm. and then people recognizing and, and reveling in that. So that, that's the first point. Yeah, and then the second point is that God likes to do good works that are a reflection of his glory, and we are to celebrate that. And so basically, he's showing his glory through good works, and there's lots of different verses that talk about this. Uh, He's accomplished wonders, uh, plans long ago with perfect faithfulness, Isaiah 25. He's exalted by his justice and distinguished by his righteousness, Isaiah 5. Uh, God's salvation is his splendor, so that's a good work we see. Uh, Isaiah 46, there's glory in God's love and his rescue. There's a glory to hope and there's a glory to God uh, as Jesus gives fruit. And he's also made known his works, including spending, sending his spirit and saving Israel, uh, obtaining eternal fame for his glorious name, Isaiah 63. He glorifies and magnifies his righteous instructions, uh, Isaiah 42. And God is praised because he revealed his truth to the infants instead of to the wise, Matthew 11. Uh, there's also some things that his glory brings. His glory brings peace in Haggai 2, and he restrains and delays his anger and refines us for his glory, honor, and praise and our benefit so that we're not defiled, 
Isaiah 48. So these are just some of the good works that uh, God likes to do to show his glory. But then the second component of that is we're to celebrate this. And so we're to honor and respect him as father and master, Malachi 1. And if we don't, we're going to be cursed, Malachi 2. We're to exalt and praise his name, give thanks, sing, celebrate, Isaiah 12. Uh, Jeremiah 20 talks about for his deliverance of needy souls for the hands of evil dwellers. Um, for the wisdom and strength he provides, that's a reason we're to celebrate Daniel 2. And just in general for the repentance for the lost. And there's a lot of different verses that talk about that. We're also to boast in his truth, uh, justice, and right righteousness. And if we do that, we're going to be blessed, according to Jeremiah 4. We're also supposed to boast in the fact that we know and understand the God who delights in us and exercises love, justice, and righteousness. And we're supposed to do that instead of boasting in wisdom, might, or riches, according to Jeremiah 9. And so we're also supposed to give glory to God by obeying him uh, before he makes us stumble in darkness and gloom. Uh, and so then we can get a beautiful crown from our heads, which is Haggai 1 and Jeremiah 13. In heaven, we're going to see and proclaim his glory, Isaiah 66, and worship him, Zechariah 14. And it's important to note, we actually talked about this a bit earlier, yep. uh, that we can glorify God with lip service and with hearts far from him. We actually see that in Isaiah 29. It's possible not only to do that, but to honor and worship God in vain, and our hearts aren't in it, according to Mark 7. And so since those are things that we can do, we can do it with the wrong motivation and the wrong understanding, we need to worship him truly in soul and action, which really is the discussion that we just had a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, and so that heart emphasizes the emotional point. Mm -hmm. So it seems that, that again, to glorify God, if you're truly doing, remember what we talked about in, in a love study, we've had people say, man, this sucks, because before the love study, I would have said I'm loving, but now that I've actually gone through biblically what love includes, I'm so not there, right? Yeah. So the, I hope... It's a similar thing here with this glorify study, that if you're one who's real big on the glory of God and glorifying God, that now you can kind of check yourself for a moment. Am I intellectually recognizing it at the general level and the specific level? Hmm. Is, is my heart in it, down deep in my soul? Is this actually connecting? And if I'm doing those two things combined, that's what makes the expression part of it sincere yeah right and, and god knows that mm -hmm. and so before we get to the third point just to kind of recap here what we're seeing is that that god himself just has this innate resplendent heaviness he has this shining brilliant value and worth it's seen most clearly in jesus when he came and took human form we also see it all through all these different works, his salvation and his rescuing and his creation and all these kind of things. So there's there's all this revealing of his glory. And, and one of the things that we saw a bunch was we need to respond accordingly, that we should begin picking up on this and picking up on his glory, his innate glory that's seen through Jesus and seen through all his good works. And it should be the intellectual and emotional and, and expression of all that, right? So, so that's all kind of what the first two points were saying. So then, Craig, what was the third point? All right. Um, the third point is there is earthly glory among men, merchants, nations, and items like milk and honey. But earthly glory fades, wastes away, and will be desecrated and disgraced. And that's in Isaiah 17, 23, and 24. Um, those who put their hope in earthly glory, men, merchants, idols, um, we provoke God and rebel against him. And that's Isaiah 3. We will be brought low and become afraid of God. That's Isaiah 2. We will have chaos, 
and evil brought upon us, Isaiah 3. We will be dismayed and ashamed, Isaiah 20. Um, and they, For they have exchanged their glory for false gods and do not profit, Jeremiah 2. Um, so boast in God, not in the things of the wicked, Jeremiah 48. Seek glory through good works and find eternal life. Seek glory from God, not man. So this was a cool thing as we went through this study. There, there was a bunch of references to, yes, the things of the earth have a glory to them. They have some sort of value, some sort of worth, some sort of quasi-resplendent heaviness to them. Um, and so it was really cool that God, through the Bible, was willing to recognize that. Yes, everything has some degree of glory, um, but don't put your eggs in that basket. You know, don't, don't try to revel in the earthly glory because like Craig was just saying, it's, it's going to fade away. Right. And so, so it was cool watching a bunch of these texts acknowledging that yes, there is an earthly glory to things to money and to people and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's great. Good. You know, God, God, God gave worth to you know, everything was good right in the creation. So everything has some kind of worth and honor, but don't, and it's really cool even watching today's society how much our society seeks to revel in the glory of earthly things, whether it's Instagram fame um, or money or politics and power or, you know, whatever. And so the Bible, it did not pull punches on that when it was saying, don't, don't make your priority trying to embrace earthly glory. Because it's not really going to, yes, it's there, sure, but it's not going to get you where, anywhere in the end. What you really want to be doing is you want to be embracing the divine glory, God's glory. You want to be beginning to, to pay more attention to that at an intellectual level. And you want to let yourself more emotionally revel in that. And then you want to begin expressing that you know, to, to others. Um, and it was saying that if you do that, and this will get into the third section here in a moment, um, but the benefits, there's a lot of benefits that will come from that. Um, so that was really cool just seeing how often it was saying that, that, that I just love that it acknowledged that, that there are, is an earthly glory to things, but in the end that fades. And so like, for example, if you're already a believer, again, we're, we're kind of touching on applications. We go through all this, but if you're already a believer, but you are still trying to find more fame in your church, um, or trying to get that better job so that you're paid more money, even if it's for good motivation, I'm not saying don't do those things. But just are you really, is your priority experiencing God's divine glory more? And this, this will get into uh, the application uh, as far as practically. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think we humans have a tendency to actually s seek and pursue earth, earthly glory things more than divine glory things? Um, earth, earth glory, it's instantly tangible. And so, you know, yes, we have yes. it there, we see it, and we get recognized for it right away. And so it's just it's just easier and it's faster and that's how we are as people. We want it quickly and we want to look good and we want people to think highly of us. So we pursue that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's a well, you know, fast food, right? There's a convenience there. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. I, I think another factor of this whole idea is we lose sight of who God is and who we are. And so we mm. think that we are more deserving of glory than we actually are. Uh, and so we try and pursue it. And so we want that better job, that better position, that uh, all of those likes. Like we we want to feel accepted. And it really 
boils down to pride in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also just a misunderstanding of our position and God's position. Because when we actually, um, like talking to different pastors, even really big churches, influential pastors, um, the, it, if their heart's in the right place, they actually are more humble than even your small town pastor might even be. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you actually come face to face with God's glory, you recognize how insignificant you really are. Mm-hmm. And that helps you uh, just really prioritize him instead of yourself. And so you aren't trying to pursue a lot of those things. Yeah, and one of the things that, and we'll get into this when we get into the benefits section here in a moment, but we saw a lot of passages about God saying, basically God saying, let me glorify you. Let me give you more worth. Yeah. You know, side note, so identity is a huge thing, right? It's funny how identity doesn't show up in Scripture itself, the Word, but the whole concept of identity is such a critical component of all of it. I'm just always intrigued. Like, so for example, whenever we do an unpacking on identity, I don't know how to even begin, go about doing that research because I'll look up identity. I don't, I don't think identity actually shows up, not even once, the English word, right? It's a little side mm. note. But anyways, so... Yeah, that that God would say, listen, I want to glorify you. I want you to give, I want to give you more resplendent heaviness. You're going to love it, right? Who doesn't want more resplendent heaviness? But don't go to the things of the world and try to make yourself resplendently heavy with through those things. Let God in his timing give you that resplendent heaviness. And we'll go more on that in a second. So anyways, so those are the three main points. A couple little sub points I just at least wanted to throw out there. Some notes that we saw. The splendor of flowers is greater than the splendor of Solomon uh, in Luke 2. The idea there being that even flowers in nature have a resplendent heaviness that in and of themselves, just the flower, it has more splendor than 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 rich Solomon with all his clothes. Hmm. So it's like, so I think the point there is, God's like, listen, Solomon got all this money, all these wives. You know, I, I gave him all this wisdom. And so he had this resplendent heaviness, this splendor about him. Um, but the flowers that I just, I, I did it all on my own was even more so. Hmm. So if I'm going to give such incredible splendor to flowers, don't seek all this stuff out, right? Let, 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 let me give it to you. Um, there are multiple passages on we're supposed to honor our father and mother. Um, and so, you know, recognizing their value and their resplendent happiness. Uh, um, Isaiah 26, a wicked man shown favor does not learn righteousness nor sees the majesty of the Lord. And then in Obadiah, uh, do not boast in the distress of others. These were just some of the other passages we saw. So, Craig, um, what other notes did you have uh, kind of in this, this second section on some of the details that we picked up on from the study? Well, w- one of them was just um, recognizing the reality of glory. And like there being an actual value or weight or glory to something or someone, and then the way that we actually perceive or import impart glory to things, and so you, and you did hit on this quite a little bit, but uh, just remembering that every single thing that is on the earth has glory, mm-hmm. from the dirt God made it has glory to the stars God made them it has glory. Um, and we need to recognize that and we should live accordingly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you hate the person that you work with. Okay, but they have glory. Mm. And so you need to recognize that glory and treat them accordingly. Um, the ground, you know, I'm not a tree hugger, but it has glory. It was created for God and for us. And so, you know, take care of it. Don't go out of your way to trash it. Mm-hmm. Um and then another thing is just recognize that you also may be adding glory to things that you 
do not need to be adding glory to. Mm. Um, you know, I love my dog. Dogs are wonderful. But an animal shouldn't have more glory and respect and love than you're giving to other people. And right. so remember that everything has its place, its value, its weight. And just keep that in mind when, mm-hmm. you, when you're treating, talking to people, and just things in general. So practically speaking, how, how do I begin? Let's start with people. Let's start with God. I'm going to people. Practically speaking, how do I begin to recognize more and more intellectually and emotionally God's resplendent heaviness? I think something that I'm reminded of is like uh, when I got a new car, I I had never like you heard of or I mean I had heard of a Nissan before but like I had never really seen them on the road. Right. But as soon as I started driving it, I started seeing all of them all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so I almost think that uh, as we begin to recognize glory, we'll begin to recognize it even more. And so as we go through, um, just like with nature and uh, through scripture and different things, we'll be able to actually begin to notice glory in a new way once we actually begin to actively start looking for where we can see God's glory, which doesn't really answer your question, but I think it No, but it's encouraging. So for the listeners, start small Hmm. um, and just know that it's practice makes perfect. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. That's true. Actually, I agree with that. And so some of the areas you're going to, you can begin to pick up on God's uh, glory more in scripture. Mm -hmm. Just the more you read, you can see that. Um, as you get into prayer more, and so that in a couple episodes, we're going to do a whole uh, thing on prayer and experiencing God. That will help you uh, experience his glory more, right, and, and begin to revel in that. Um, community. So when you're talking with other, other hopefully strong, mature believers, they can help with that. Um, you mentioned the nature with the tree. So even in nature, you can see uh, his glory, the stars. Yeah. Um, life in general, right? Just the little moments. Because, like, like, for example, when I see... Um, I always get choked up when I think about back in the 80s, there was the plane uh, in D.C. that had left the Reagan National Airport, but then it was in the winter and with ice and everything crashed into the 14th Street Bridge that goes from Virginia into, into D.C. And the plane literally came up off the airport and then went right down into the bridge. This was like during rush hour, so it slammed in all these cars. And so the plane broke up, the cars broke up, and a bunch of people fell into the water. Um, and so, you know, I mean, a lot of people died that day, but they, so helicopters had come and they were throwing the, um, the, uh, lifesavers down into the water there. And there was some guy, I don't know his name. Um, but he mm-hmm. caught it like three or four times and each time passed it on to somebody else. Uh, and then when it came on the fifth time, he'd already drowned. And so it was insane to me that somebody three or four times catches it, but instead of just taking it for himself, passed it on to somebody mm-hmm. else. I don't know if he was a believer or not, but to me, I think because we all have, some element of goodness. I mean, some people, you know, pack, push that goodness down and, and tuck it away. Mm. But, but we see, and so for me, you know, God, I know created some element of goodness in each person and you see it in that kind of action. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So there are a number of different areas that you can begin to see God's glory. Um, and then knowing that kind of the practice makes perfect. The more you start doing that, the, the more it becomes. So then that goes into Chris Craig, you mentioned everybody has worth, right? Everybody has glory. Um, but we've also talked about how sometimes it's really hard to see that. What do we do in that scenario when, when there's somebody that you're having a hard time seeing their glory or their worth, but you know it's there? Um, so for me, I just I have to make a conscious decision mm. to remember it. So you get in that situation and you, you, know, you want to yell or talk bad about the person or whatever. You just need to remember, okay, this is a person. 
God created this person. Who knows why the person is being this way? I don't know their circumstances outside of this. Regardless, I need to be kind, gentle, and loving because this person is significant and has value and has weight. So where does that significance and value and weight come from? Just the fact they're created? Yeah. I mean, they are created by God, and we as humans were created in his image. And he died for all humans. And so if that's the case, if if they were worthy for God to die for, mm. then I can be respectful of that so person. So good. Um, does their bad behavior decrease their glory or worth? Not its intrinsic value. It may decrease the perceived value mm. of the person, but the person is still a person. They're the same as me. They're the same as my pastor. And so their value is the same. Now they may be making them, they may be covering their glow up, but they're, they're still glowing. Dang. So a, a person's bad behavior may cover their glow up, but the glow is still there. And my perception of their glory may go down, but their glory itself still remains. Right. Dang. And I think that goes back to something that you say a lot, Shannon, uh, just that we're all made of dust. Mm -hmm. And so I think that uh, it does make it harder to recognize their glory. But that mindset assumes that we're in a place where we're assuming worth based off actions. And that's thankfully not how Christ looks at us. Um, because I know that like uh, as... I go through my own life, like I sin and do different things, but God's view of me and his view of my worth isn't affected by the actual things that I do. And so if we can have a perspective where we recognize that all of us are made out of dust, I'm made out of dust, mm -hmm. you're made out of dust, and people that are living in such a way that we know is uh, goes against scripture, they're also made of dust. Mm -hmm. And we use that as the qualification of how much worth they have instead of the things that they're doing. I think that that helps us be in a mindset where um, we're not uh, doing the cliche, love the sin or love the sinner, but hate the sin. We're actually just loving people and really beginning to see them in a way that helps us do that. So if there's a Christian who's listening right now and they beat themselves up a lot for their sin. They really ride themselves hard and they feel like they have less worth or glory now because of their sin. We would tell them, no, mm -hmm. your intrinsic glory is still there because God, because God gave it to you. So inversely, can good behavior increase my glory? We didn't, we didn't, this is on the, on the spot. We didn't plan this ahead of time. I think I would say no, because as soon, like just going back to what I was just saying, if you are defining your worth based off your behavior, good or bad, it seems to be focused more on what you're doing and not the value that God's assigned to you through being created in his image. Mm -hmm. And so I think at least for me, in order to be consistent, um, you can't lose glory by doing bad things and you can't gl gain glory by doing good things. What do you think, Greg? Well, I know there are scriptures where God says he will increase your glory. And so that doesn't necessarily mean you as a person can have more or less glory, but your value to the kingdom or your value to other people's lives can increase. And so in a way it would seem that you, you can become more glorified 
because of the amount of the amount you're pouring into others or into God and and being beneficial to other people. But but you even said that's God doing that glorifying. Right, that is God increasing it. So I, yeah, I guess it would be God increasing right. your your. Okay, value. so okay, so it seems so so we, I would agree with you that it looks like we can be glorified, i.e., our glory can be increased. But it seemed, and this would actually line up with what we were saying earlier of don't seek glory through earthly things, but let God bring the glory. So if I if I throw this out as a proposal, what do you guys think? Bad behavior can't take away from your glory, and good behavior can't add to your glory. Um, you are, everybody has an intrinsic, innate glory to them. Right. God, for the believers in heaven, and maybe even in this life too, um, will increase your glory, but he's choosing to increase that resplendent heaviness. If that's true, then the bad behavior and good behavior don't affect your glory, your value. Um, so I, I, I can't quite say yes, but I'm leaning that direction, right? But then I'm thinking about somebody say, well, man, so if my bad behavior or good behavior doesn't actually change my glory or worth, then I can go ahead and do a bunch of bad behavior and not do any good behavior because it doesn't affect my worth. What would you guys say to that? I, we've talked about this in other episodes, but I, I think maturity was one of the ones where we had this discussion, but if, cause it depends on how you're viewing, uh, bad behavior. If your only view of bad behavior is it's a good thing because it brings you pleasure, then I mean, in a way, I guess, sure. Like you might as well just go and enjoy yourself. But if we recognize that sinful behavior is because we're turning away from God's good things into another Good thing, which is uh, the good study that I think we've we will do shortly. Yeah, that yeah. we're going to do shortly here. Yeah. Um, but if we're if that's our perspective on it, instead of um, well, I just want to have fun, then it changes things because if it once it moves past your own pleasure and it moves past, well, this is actually detrimental to you Mm -hmm. and that's why you should be avoiding this. Mm -hmm. Then we can begin to see how we wouldn't want to just go with that surface level thing because of the deeper implications of it. So this all lines up. Like for example, the salvation, we know that the, it's not, it's your belief in Jesus that gets you into heaven and your rejection of Jesus as Lord that keeps you out. Mm -hmm. Right. So as a believer, if I sin, I don't lose my salvation because my sin was already atoned for by Christ on the cross. And it's not my good works that get me in. So sin and good works are not salvific issues. That's what belief and faith is. Um, But that doesn't mean that sin and good works are not important. Yes, yeah. It's just I'm not avoiding sin to get saved. I'm not doing good works to get saved. My my salvation comes through my belief in Jesus and what he did. So, so why do I still avoid sin? Because it's detrimental to me or others, and we'll get into that when we get when we do the evil sin study. And why do I pursue good works? There is a reward that comes from from heaven, and mm-hmm. and maybe to some extent, there's some glorification that comes from that. I'm not for sure, um, but also I do the good works because it benefits others, mm-hmm. and it benefits me in the process. So, with all that in mind, this this bad behavior won't take away from my glory. But the bad behavior still has problems to it. Yeah, there's still consequences. There's still consequences, yeah. and so I still I don't want to just pursue. You know, just because the bad behavior doesn't affect my glory or worth, 
doesn't mean that there's no problem to it. There's still a huge yeah, problem to it, which yeah. we'll get into in the evil sin study. And so then inversely, if the good works isn't necessarily going to increase my glory, maybe to some extent with rewards down the road, but but for the most part, no. That you know, because if I'm doing good works so that I get glory, then I'm not doing good works for the right motive. Yeah, they don't you're count. You're not doing out of love, right? And so it which doesn't is matter. First Corinthians thirteen. Yeah. So I do good works not for the glory or worth that it increases in me, um, but because um, it's beneficial to the kingdom, it pleases God, et cetera. So let me say all this then. Kind of just this, I feel like the application section is going to be short because we keep touching on this <laughs> stuff. If you as a Christian are trying to do good works because you feel like it's going to increase your worth or your value, stop. Hmm. Because you already have intrinsic worth and value because God made you. Um, and so do the good works just because of your love for people, which I, which I think is great. Also, as a, as a, as a, a Christian or just anybody listening to this, if you're really messing up in some areas, you've got a, a, an addiction or, or a bad habit or whatever, um, and you feel like, you know what, I'm not worthy. I don't have value because of all these bad things that I've done. Stop. You have an intrinsic value, a worth, a glory, a resplendent heaviness because God made you. So, so, so that, so the first application is for you, the individual that's either, be, you know, thinking you have no worth because of your, your bad behavior or doing good works so that you get more worth. Stop that. Your worth is, it comes from your create, you're being created by God. Then the second application is what you were saying earlier, Craig, how you see other people. So if you see somebody screwing up royally, man, as a human, your perceived value with them is going to go down. They have less to contribute to society or my community or whatever because they keep being screwing up. But that's your perceived value. It's like you said, I, well, this is hard. Um, but I got to go back and remind myself that their worth, their value, their glory comes from the fact that God made them, not from this, this behavior. Holy cow. I fully agree with all of that. That's going to be hard to do in, um, in reality. And so I believe that the more that you're recognizing God's glory, I think that needs to come first because then you'll be able to more easily recognize the glory that others have. Um, and same idea with love. This is why love's so important. Ooh. Look at that. Uh, the more that I'm pursuing love, receiving God's love, lo this goes back to the love study, receiving God's love, loving myself, loving others, the more that I'm doing all that, the easier it will be to glorify somebody, i.e. to recognize and respond appropriately to the glory or, or value that they have. Ah, it's all coming together. Great. Okay. So did you have any other notes that you wanted to share? Um, um, not from not at this time, I don't think. All right. So that's, that's the second section and some more of the, the details and nuances and how it works. So now we can move into the third section, which is what are the benefits to glorifying God and then letting him and, and glorifying others appropriately and letting him glorify us appropriately. So we have some, let me pull my notes here. We have some points from, uh, from this. So, so this one here, Shannon, why should I begin to glorify God more? Why should I let him glorify me? Why should I, you know, quote or small G glorify others? Da, da, da. Um, if we glorify God instead of earthly things, he will bestow splendor on us instead of taking it away. Worship the splendor of God, not the splendor of earth. That was Matthew four. So this is a key point to this whole study. It's almost, by the way, humility in the humility segment when we did that one, it seemed that the more, that you humbled yourself before God, which was kneeling in adoration, submission, and, and security. The more that you humbled yourself before God, the more he lifted you up and honored you. It almost was an inverse thing. Same here. 
the 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 more that you try to seek glory in earthly things, the more he's going to take away that stuff. Where the more that you actually try to seek his, you know, recognize his glory and seek the glory that he wants to bestow on you, the more that he will. It makes sense. It's hard to do, but it but it makes sense. And so there was some some key points for the faithful for believers. Despite the fact that we all fall short of the glory of God, he sees his people as precious and honored and valuable, Isaiah 43. It's because we are, so we're repeating ourselves here, but we are, we are created, this was Isaiah 43, and we, we, we discussed how this was translated. It either says that we're created for his glory or that we're created with glory, or, or both are true. Um, and there's another phrase that mentions that people, that people are the glory of the king. Uh, another point, he will be a crown of splendor and beauty, offering justice and strength to his people. Isaiah 28, you will be strengthened through his glory, Ephesians 3. And Isaiah 57 says that God lives loftily with the low in spirit and will receive them. The revive humble, them. Revive them, yeah. yeah. Uh, the humble will be exalted and the, the proud will be brought low. And there's a lot of things that say that second part. And then we also saw the process of sanctification brings glory. So walk in a manner worthy of, conduct yourself according to the calling that you've received. Um, There is some glory that only comes through endurance of suffering and wasting away. There is worth in being dishonored for God. Those who remain faithful will have a canopy of his glory over them as a refuge. That's cool. uh, Isaiah 4. And then there's also hiding in his power, Habakkuk 3. Um, if we are salt and light doing good works, men will see that and they'll glorify God, Matthew 5. Those believers who have insight or who lead others to righteousness will shine brightly at the resurrection, Daniel 12. A gracious woman and man of sense get honor. Those who are committed and do good are considered worthy or deser- deserving. So you have everyone has worth. Only those who recognize and welcome him and his servants are deserving of blessing, including glory. So the idea here is there is some sort of innate, intrinsic glory to everybody and everything. And it does seem that there are, as there's an increasing in your glory based on a number of things, but it's still God driving it, not you. Um, in the millennium, he will set his glory on the nations and they will worship him. Ezekiel 39, the righteous will shine in ju- at judgment day. What is NT? Matthew. <laughs> Matthew 13. The justified will be glorified. God is sharing his glory with us. That was cool. I really liked when we did that study that God is sharing his glory with us. Yeah, and then the, uh, in addition to some notes on the faithful, we also saw some specific things talking about faithful Israel. And so God made Israel cling to him so that they might be his people for renown, praise, and glory in Jeremiah 13. And then he's going to restore his people so that he may glean. And he will make Jerusalem glean, Isaiah 60. He will restore his people and they will celebrate in thanksgiving. And he will honor and glorify them. And they will not be insignificant, Jeremiah 30. All of the offspring of Israel will be justified and glorified, Isaiah 45. So one of the things there, you know, we talk, I hear the phrase, you know, all glory be to God. And I pushed back on it a little bit because there was a bunch of passages of God sharing his glory um, with everybody. So I do hold to the idea that, you know, that God has the ultimate glory, right? He has the ultimate perfect value and resplendent heaviness and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
but I know that he actually wants to share that resplendent heaviness with others. So when we talk about sometimes if someone's using phrase like, you know, all glory be to God and what they're meaning is that nobody else should get any glory whatsoever. Every single ounce of glory should go to God. I push back on that because everything has glory and God wants to share the glory. If, if what they actually mean is just that we, we really want to recognize how intense and incredible God's resplendent heaviness is, then yes, then I would agree with that, right? So it depends on kind of how they mean it all. Um, so those were the, the faithful in, in, in Israel. Then you had kind of the inverse, the proud. There were multiple mentions of bringing the proud low and lifting up the humble. Uh, because of his people's sins, he exchanged uh, their glory for shame in Hosea 4. So, so there was definitely some problems for the proud. Um, and for the enemies, God also exalted the might of Israel's ad- adversaries, Lamentations 2. God gave glory and power to Nebuchadnezzar, who took credit for it. So God humbled him and made him like a wild beast, and he repented and gave honor and praise back to God, Daniel 4. He took Babylon's might away so it wouldn't exalt itself, Ezekiel 17. The king of Tyre, Satan, question mark had beauty and splendor that lifted up his heart, and he was corrupted, Ezekiel 28. And a quick point on the Nebuchadnezzar. That becomes a great snapshot of this whole discussion, Mm -hmm. that God gave glory to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave Nebuchadnezzar this value, this resplendent heaviness. He gave him this position of power, this yeah. kingdom, etc. God chose to give Nebuchadnezzar, who, who was known as not a believer, right? He's known as an enemy. Um, God gave him that glory, but then he took it and he took credit for it. Hmm. Uh, and so God said, uh-uh, right? And so God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And that was, there's a weird passage about um, him having the, the hair that grew long and the nails and all that stuff. Werewolf, you know, whatever, whatever it was. <laughs> um, and so, so God said, you can't be taking credit for that. I gave that to you. Hmm. So then Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. And he ended up giving that glory back to God or, or you know, giving credit where credit is due. And then God restored him. Hmm. Really, really cool to, to read through that in Daniel. Yeah. And uh, lastly, we see uh, false gods in this discussion. And so God basically just says that he's not going to share his glory with idols in Isaiah 42. So, so those were some of the, the, the benefits that we saw. Um, and it goes back to this principle that, that we keep reiterating here that, you know, fact number one, God has incredible glory, mm-hmm. this brilliant, shining, glowing, resplendent heaviness and value and worth. And he reveals it first and foremost through his son, also through creation, also through all these different good works that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's our job, and, and, and not out of obligation, but truly out of just like sincerity and benefit for us. The more we begin to recognize that, the more we begin to recognize his goodness and his power and his love and his sovereignty and all these different things. And, and the more that, that we're recognizing it both at an intellectual level and an emotional level, mm-hmm. It's just going to bring this freedom, um, more more joy, and, you, and, you, and you're going to be expressing it, and 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 God's going to share that glory with you, yeah, uh, because He loves that you're. Re- so that's the funny thing. He's not walking around saying, "I want all glory. I want everyone to glorify me. I want, I want all the fame." You know, I I, I have a low self esteem and insecurity complex, and so I need people to start praising me all the time. That's not, that's totally not how He's doing yeah. it. It's just God's like, listen, I'm the self existent one. Right. This is just this is this innately just I, I have all this incredible glory. Please believe me when I tell you this. The more that you begin to recognize that I get to share that with you. Um, and then inversely, if you're refusing to recognize that 
and, and you're not coming to me to see this glory that I want to share mm-hmm. with you. And instead, you're just seeking the easier thing, glory in yourself or glory in earthly things or whatever, then I can't share that glory with you. Yeah. And that stuff's going to fade. So this is, so this is again, like my pushback in the past was, it, I felt like people, when they were talking about glorifying God, they were doing the general A and the C, right? They were just acknowledging it to some extent and then expressing it. Yeah. And I don't think that's God's intent because he says, your hearts are far from me. So I don't want to push back on, on glorifying God. I want to push back on people in, in completely glorifying God. Mm. So I wish Christians would better get into all of that. That, that both at the general level and the specific level, they're beginning to recognize this intellectually and emotionally and just being moved by yeah. that, you know, and then expressing that to others, however that plays out. And then God's like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to share that glory with you. And all that glory begins to get, be getting spread. Yeah. And so I wish, it's, to me, it's the Christian's job, the church's job to do that first. Well, and the more that we're doing that, then the more the world will begin to pick up on it. And then, and then they start getting drawn in. So, so the idea here is imagine God with this awesome glow, right, and, and worth. And it seems that the more you sincerely, personally begin to experience that, the more it gets shared. Mm-hmm. And so imagine like this visual of God sitting here in the middle of all of it with this, this awesome glow and this, this shining brilliance and the, the, the she- Shekinah or Shekinah, right? Um, and then the more that people come into that, the more that it gets spread out among everybody. And so like best case scenario, the whole world starts like moths to the flame in a good way, hmm. start getting attracted to his glory and they come in there and then everybody gets enveloped by it. To me, that would be God's intent. And so what we're seeing is the church partially doing that. And then the lost not doing it at all, right? Or Mm -hmm. with some sort of lip service. And so to me, the church, we need to set the example and get back to the complete version of all this. Don't just give credit to God. Don't just at a general level proclaim his goodness. Do it so so much more comprehensively, intellectually, emotionally, expressively, all that stuff, however that plays out. Do that more. You'll begin to share in it, and you'll begin to share it with others. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Like To Mm -hmm. me, it's just like it's it's in my head, and, and, and I love that. Um, so anyways, so you can see that the benefits of all this, um, and so, so, so all that coming full circle, just make sure I'm not, I'm not missing anything here in my notes. Um, yeah. So, so I get before, before I get into the love thing, is there anything else that you guys would add to kind of just what I was saying here where we're not, you know, our job is not to out of obligation to come. We're supposed to glorify God. We're supposed to, uh, proclaim his fame. It's out of this desire to actually experience his glory and, and then begin to share in that and then bring others in to share it as well. That's kind of the point I'm getting at. Do you guys have any other things that you would want to say kind of with this whole study? It's really interesting to me what you said. You said it really quick, um, and I've honestly been thinking about it since you said it, just that God doesn't demand us to glorify him because he is, you, and you elaborated, he's not insecure. And I think about even people that I know that, they don't seek attention. They immediately defer any sort of praise or like uh, congratulations and that sort of thing. And that's the type of people that you want to be around. Mm-hmm. Like that's the type of people that you want to spend time with. You want to, uh, you you see them as different. And I really think that that's what as believers we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be deferring that glory to God. Because if the creator of the universe can be in a spot where he's like, no, I mean, he, Obviously, he recognizes his own glory, but he doesn't demand recognition from us. I think that we could do that similarly. We could say, 
no, you know what? We don't need glory because really God is the one that needs to be glorified. And if that's the intention that we have behind saying statements like uh, all glory needs to go to God and that sort of thing, I think that that puts in a, us in a much better place for what you were just describing with um, as we draw closer to God, then his glory is going to come into us and then we can start sharing that with others and others will see it and just the the snowball will start rolling uh, to really begin to grow and expand to many different people. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, imagine we went back to the multicolored rain, you know, uh, visual. So imagine God sitting there and then in this resplendent heaviness, there's this huge like gentle rainstorm that is twinkling with all the different colors of the rainbow and there's electricity kind of going like the lightning. So there's like a gentleness and a powerfulness. There's all that stuff wrapped up, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine him sitting there in the storm of glory. Okay. But, but like a cool storm in the storm of glory. It's not that he's, you know, Hey, Hey, hey look at me, look at me, look at my, look, look at, look at my stormy gloriness, right? Yeah. What he's saying is, do you guys realize how electric and how powerful and how incredible this 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 storm of glory is? Come in it. Come dance in it. Hmm. Right? Come into this to this rain that is me um, and experience my glory and just, just be shared with it. It changes the tone of it all. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between an intellectual scent to looking at that storm from a distance and saying, hey, that's... That's cool. That's electric. Uh, lots of lights, dance, like all that stuff. That's the difference between recognizing that and saying, no, we need to we need to say that that's a cool thing. We need to give God glory. We need to do that to moving from there to literally moving into the storm and saying, no, th- like this is the coolest thing ever. Like actually experiencing that and then expressing that. I think that that's a good word, word picture to really describe that idea. And this goes back to tone. And you guys have known me for a while. So, you know, I'm, I'm loosey goosey and all that stuff that like a lot of times when I hear this language of, you know, you need to recognize the glory of God. And if you don't, you're going to burn in hell, right? It's going to, it's a consuming fire. Yeah, but I just I feel like I, I want to verbalize that different of of there's this this incredible powerful storm that is him that he wants you to come sit in that storm uh, and experience it and sh- and share with it and, and you guys see the, the the difference in there but I don't know if Craig if you had anything that you wanted to add to to any of this before we get into the um, well not not really just well for the thing that you just said. Um, I agree nine out of ten times the the way that you would like to express it works great and probably is the preferred way to go most most for most people. I do think that the other one has its place. Sometimes you need a wake sure. up call. Sure. And I agree. That that can be a wake up call for some people. Like, oh yeah, I need to check this. Um I'm moving away. Um, which is, you know, tends to be my go to sometimes because apparently I need a lot of wake up calls. Yeah, um, and then point. the other thing just I was thinking about with all this, the glory talk and God giving you glory um, is just remembering like, yeah, you have an intrinsic worth, but particularly if you're a Christian, if if you're glowing, why would you want to walk around with a blanket over top of you all the time? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, for the right reasons, but, you know, do do good, be good, give glory to God and shine and, and take the blanket off. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so there's a, a subtle, there was, uh, I don't know if you even go into this. No, nah, I won't. There was this, this, I read a while back, I read an article about this guy that had a vision and it was talking about glory and, and humility. It was, it was really kind of cool. I'll do that for another day. Um, and I like your point about like the, the ninth. So nine, it's cause it's practical nine times out of 10, 
when you're talking with somebody about the glory of God, it should be in this enveloping, sharing type way. One time out of 10, um, the person actually needs to hear the consuming fire speech, right? Hmm. And, and we say it's in general. So, so okay, that's, I love it because what, what makes me think is I got friends of mine that 10 times out of 10, they talk consuming fire. And they would say, well, that's what people need to hear. Eh, that's what you enjoy saying. Hmm. So let's use some discernment. And if yeah. the person truly needs to hear that, yes, but that seems to be the exception to the rule. So odds are it's not 10 times out of 10 you keep finding that one person. <laughs> <laughs> odds are it's just that's where you're more comfortable. Um, so, so, so change that a bit. Yeah. Yeah, and I was reminded as you were talking about uh, in Revelation where it talks about us receiving cl- crowns of glory and then ultimately what we do with those is we throw those back at Jesus' feet. And so as we're receiving glory from God instead of seeking it out ourselves, what we need to be doing is we need to recognize that it is from him and not do what Nebuchadnezzar did and try and take it, the credit ourselves because we'll get humbled. Um, but really, as humans, we need to be pointing people back to God while in the midst of us being glorified. Because if we just run around saying, no, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty cool. I'm good at this. I can do this. Uh, I have all this worth and, uh, and it's focused on us. We lose sight of God in the midst of that and that doesn't work out well. And so we need to make sure that we really are, um, focusing on him even while we're receiving glory instead of trying to take it all ourselves. So with that, let's come full circle then and bring it back into love discussion, okay? So, and you see we're like, if we didn't have a whole unpacking on love and a whole unpacking on glory, and I was just trying to tell somebody that love trumps glory, you can see all kinds of pushback you're going to get. But if you do this whole three-hour unpacking on love, probably going to be about two-hour unpacking here on glory, and we're actually breaking it all down, and we're seeing how they do really mesh together— it becomes a little easier conversation to have. So I'm going to, how about this? I'm going to say it my way and then you each say your perspective. Okay. So, so for me then all things considered, I, I do like this visual of like glorifying God, the, te- the definition being the recognizing, reveling in and revealing, but like the visual being like coming, dancing in that storm. It seems to me that one of the first things you need to do as a believer is to glorify God in the sense of you need to be truly beginning to recognize his incredible resplendent heaviness by dancing in that storm, by coming up close to him in intimacy, getting to know him through scripture, prayer, community, life, etc., and beginning to recognize that and revel in it and just dance in that lightning storm of awesomeness. Um, and then as you're doing that, you're just naturally, it's not going to be an effort. You're just going to be revealing it and expressing it in different ways. But you're doing that so that you can then go back out into the world and love. And so, so for me, that's why I say like glorifying God cannot be the ultimate commandment because the visual there is you're coming into the storm and you're dancing around in the storm, but you're not necessarily going back out to go love. And so that, that's why I like that phrasing. It would seem that you should be glorifying God so that you can then love God and love others. Because that's going to put you in the right frame of mind. It's going to put you in the right perspective. You know, it's going to give you the power that you need, et cetera. So that's why I really like the language of one of your initial primary goals absolutely should be to glorify God. But again, that's not just giving this lip service. 
it's mean, mean, you know, doing what that means, that, that beginning to recognize intellectually and emotionally and reveling in that and celebrating that and being moved by that and being in awe by that. Um, and, and so, and then revealing that to others so that they can also come in the storm. And now that everybody's coming into the storm or even those that don't come, you still go back out in love. And so love is the affection and it's the commitment and it's the, the patient understanding and it's that contributing to the well-being. There's so much more going on. Love accomplishes so much more. And so, so when I hear somebody say that the chief end of man is to glorify God, and I also say and enjoy him forever, so there was some delighting there, but the chief end of man is to glorify God. No, the chief end of man is to love God. And I realize I'm pushing back on Hundreds of years of tradition, you know, when, when I say that. Um, and I don't want to fight. I just, it's just getting back to both the way the scripture phrases things and understanding what all this stuff is. It just makes the utmost sense to me that the initial thing is to come dance in his, his storm of glory so that you can then begin to love him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others in self, heart, soul, mind, and strength, because that's actually where everything gets accomplished. And so my, my fear is that if somebody goes around believing that the, the chief end, that their most important thing they're supposed to do is glorify God, and, and first of all, they are only doing it intellectually with some lip service then the, clearly they're not doing enough. But let's say they actually start doing the full version, intellectually, emotionally, and, and expressively. That's fantastic, but let's say that they, they begin to do that, and they think that's all they're supposed to do. They didn't, they, there's a whole, a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, so they get to heaven, they're saying, God, I did the most important thing. I glorified you. you know, I recognized your resplendent heaviness, and I celebrated that, you know, et cetera. Um, I succeeded. And God's like, but where did you love me? Where was the deep affection and loyal commitment and contribution to my well-being? Um, where was your love of others? Where were you having that fondness for others as you were committed to them, patiently forgiving them for their sins, and and uh, and then contributing to their well-being? Now, some might try to argue, but if you're glorifying God, you'll do that. Sure, but that needs to be verbalized. And if you only verbalize that glorifying is the end, you're missing another whole component. So, so to kind of, I'm just rambling now, but to wrap all that up, I really do believe um, uh, conceptually and in the text of the Bible, you know, again, it, it doesn't, and I said this in the love, uh, love study, so I'll go ahead and say it here. If the passage says that, you know, what is the greatest commandment? To glorify the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then if it said, if all the law is summed up in this, that you glorify God. And if it said that these three remain, faith, hope, and the glorification of God, and the, and the greatest of these is the glorification of God. And it said that if you speak in all these tongues and give all this money and have all this wisdom, but you don't, aren't glorifying God, they don't count. Then, yes, I would agree that glorifying God is the most important commandment. But the text doesn't say that. It says love. And so, so I don't, I don't want to downplay glorifying. I want to recognize the, the, the importance of it. But to me, it's the initial thing and the ultimate final thing is loving him. So that's, that's my soapbox on that. Yeah, because I feel like if you flip it around and you are trying to glorify God in order to love other people, that doesn't really work. But if you're loving God and out of your love for God, or if you're loving people and out of that comes a glorification of God, then that's really how that, begins to work because what I was thinking about because the goal is love glory just becomes the byproduct mm -hmm. yeah. instead of the goal being glorification and love becoming right. the byproduct um, because I think that focus just really changes it 
And it, it gives us a lot more practical things to be doing and trying to accomplish. But if our focus is love, then we're also going to be focused on the worth of other people mm-hmm. and all people. Because uh, we talked about last week in the love study, uh, it's your enemies. It's those around you. It's everyone you come into contact with. And so you have to be recognizing their worth in order to actually be contributing positively to their well-being. And so once that becomes becomes uh, a reality in our life that actually leads to us being in a better place when God does glorify us. And so it puts us in a place where when God does decide to glorify us, not because we're loving other people, because it's not the action-based thing like we were talking about earlier, but uh, just it puts us in a place where we're not going to be focused on ourselves Mm -hmm. when that happens. And um, as we're loving and we're going about daily living our lives, and uh, we're summing up the law and the prophets in our love for one another. Uh, we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All those different verses you were just saying. What ends up happening is we point people to God because people don't do that. Like it, right. believers, let's be real, believers don't really love to <laughs> right. the extent that they're supposed to be right. doing. And so if we actually prioritize love, then glorification happens as a result, the byproduct that we were just saying. And it just, I think that it's really important that we have love as our focus mm-hmm. and let glory be the byproduct instead of having glory be the focus and love be the byproduct. Okay, so I want to hear Craig's point before you go, Craig. So again, to kind of recap here, um, Zach would say, let love be your focus and glory be the byproduct of that rather than the other way around. And I would say, you know, so we're agreeing, we're just using different terminology here i would say initially begin to glorify god but long term loving him is so much more important another uh, way that i would explain this is this is how i visualize it love is a b c and d so heart soul mind and strength is a b c and d where glorifying is part of that a so just using letters to me the greatest commandment is to a b c and d where i hear people say the most important thing is a well, no, the most important thing is A, B, C, and D, right? And so when, they, when they're talking about the glorifying, they're talking about one of the components, but there's more to it than that, which is why I say it. So, Craig, um, go ahead and, and you explain this how you, how you see it. Okay, so I, I would agree that love is the most important thing. And, um, of course, glorifying God is great. My only, I guess it's not really even pushback. My only thing would be if, if someone is stuck on glory being the, their best thing, and I don't want to turn them off, so I don't want to tell them they're wrong. Right. I would want to know, okay, what does glory or glorifying God mean to you? And if right away in their definition is, well, the only way you can really bring glory to God is to love him and love people and you know all these love commands, then I'm like, okay, as long as is that if that's how you see it and you're expressing that and you make it known when you say to people, bring glory to God. That is the biggest thing. And the way you do that is love, love, love. Then I'm going to let you, that's your definition. Then fine. It makes sense. It it lines up with what I think and what you think their terminology is just different. Now, if they never, if their definition doesn't include that, then there's probably a talk like, okay, we need to look at what glorifying God is. And we need to look at what love is. And if you're stuck on glorifying God, you really need to look where love plays into this mm-hmm. because people are not going to see that glory if you're not loving. Yeah, because 
this becomes a human pride thing, right? You, you want to argue people, oh, you use my terminology, right? So if somebody was saying, like, you need to love God so that you can glorify him, I would say, I would want to push back and say, I feel like the text emphasizes that you should be glorifying God so that you can love him and others, right? But you make a great point. I, I, I got to be careful and pick my battles on that. And, and a great way to go around it is not to make glorifying the issue, but to make love the issue. And so let them have their emphasis on, on glorifying God. Let them have that. Go ahead and, you know, like I said, if they, if they bring love into the picture, then great. We'll just use different terminology. But if they're not bringing love into the picture, then it's, it's such this is good for me to hear you say that. Because then I can be like, all right, so where does love come into this? Let's, let's just make sure love's on the table, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's probably also part of it too. In the past, I saw somebody have glory. Uh, what's the thing called on a table where it's, it's circular and it can spin? I have no idea. There's but, a name for it. Yeah. But, but anyways, so some people have so glorify on there thing. and they don't have love on there. And what I've done in the past is I've tried to take glorify off to put love on, and that's not right. Keep the glorifying on there, but also just put the love on there. And so I think I was so bothered by that love wasn't on there, in my, and I made a mistake in taking glorify off. I just need to get love. And, I, and it's, a, it's a marketing thing because as long as glorify is on there, they're still going to be thinking about it. So if I can take glorify off the table and all they can look at is love, that's great. But that's actually not great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's the wrong way of thinking. So anyways, yeah. Okay, cool. So that's... Um, our thoughts on, and I hope you understand as you've listened to the love episode and the glorify episode, kind of what we're getting at, right? Um, that I'm not as controversial as I may initially sound when I, when I say these things. <laughs> so anyways, so that is the, uh, the third component, which is what are the benefits, you know, working through what is glory and glorifying, how does it work and, and, and what are the benefits of it? Okay, so that leads to the fourth and final section, which is the, the application and, and takeaway. So, so for, we're going to each kind of go around and share. So for, um, actually, no, I'm just going to start with Craig. Uh, let's get right into that. So Craig, so what was, as you went through the study, and then even tonight, just uh, hashing all this out again, what was one or two of the big takeaways for you? And then what was one or two application, you know, practical applications for you that you want to be focused on going from this point forward? So biggest takeaways for me are um, first how big and crazy the glory of God is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I you hear the term all the time. I've never looked into it before the study, so I didn't exactly know what I was looking for. What what was glory? And um, just it's so crazy that you know, like Moses had to be hidden as the glory of God passed right. by because it would have killed him, and that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not going to see that side of glory this side of the gates um, but it is cool knowing that we will get to see that yep. on the other side yep. and um, so that was a huge takeaway and the other huge takeaway was just remembering that everything has glory um, mm. and I yeah just I, I never really thought about that with like little things like dirt grass small little animals that get hit on the road all the time you don't sit and think oh well they have worth and glory and value because God created them and so just remembering that and um, for application to that, remembering that everything and everyone has glory, I'm just reminding myself that when I'm around hard people or hard situations, um, you know, they have a glory. They are to be respected. Um, I am to hold their value as important and significant. Mm -hmm. and, and that goes with animals and the earth too. You know, I don't need to go crazy with it but i do need to remember that you know god god made it god put it here for 
our enjoyment and his enjoyment. So I need to, to take care of it in that way. And the other th- big takeaway is to remind myself not to ascribe levels of glory to things that don't mm. need it. I, I, you know, you put too much value on things that shouldn't have that much value. Mm. And in doing that, you take away from the value of things that should have that value. And so just keeping that in mind on a regular basis. Yeah, good. Zach, what about you? Yeah, for me, some of my takeaways, uh, one of the main ones is just that glory is not dependent on behavior. And so keeping that in mind as I'm really trying to recognize the worth of others, um, that my perception of their glory doesn't change their actual glory Mm -hmm. and making sure that I am actually living that way. And then also just recognizing where people that do use more of the terminology of glorifying God and they emphasize that more, just realizing where they're coming from and recognizing that it's not a bad thing to glorify God or to even emphasize glorifying God. Um, The problem just becomes when that's not when there's not love attached to it, which really kind of goes into the application for me. Um, I really just need to love people the way that we talked about in the last episode, Um, just intentionally putting others' needs before myself Mm -hmm. that uh, actively working to actually do beneficial good. And so then uh, I can really be recognizing their glory. And then also something that really... Uh, stuck out to me was uh, what happened with Nebuchadnezzar when he Mm. decided to take God's glory. Uh, And so I want to make sure that I'm not trying to do that because um, just being in that humble mindset and not, not shying away from receiving glory from God, but not letting it puff me up or do that sort of thing or take credit for it is something that I really want to make sure I'm working on. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, one of the cool things from the study was getting to actually map it all out, you know, cause I only had loose connotations of what this was. And so getting to kind of parse out what is glory and then the two definitions of, of glorify and, and the three points of the second definition, the, you know, the recognize rebel and, and, and reveal that was just very helpful for me. I feel, I feel like safer and calmer if I can wrap my mind around a concept. So I really appreciated that. Um, I also really liked recognizing that, that everything has glory um, and, and we need to pay, t- I remember that, remember the, the, that little diagram that we drew on the whiteboard there, um, that everything has glory. So we should glorify or honor things to the level at which they, which they are. Um, that was cool that, uh, seeing how much God wanted to share his glory. So even like that storm language visual that came up tonight, that wasn't, I didn't have that in the study. Um, but that whole idea of like, God has this resplendent heaviness this lightning storm or whatever. Oh, and I liked the visuals when we got into Ezekiel and, and all that, just getting more of a visual of, of what that looks like. Um, but anyways, that I really appreciated that he wants to share. He wants us to share in that and that we need to be going to him for that, not the things of the world. That was, that was, it was practical. So practically for me, um, similar to what you just said, Zach, as far as, um, I know, that like like with rekindling as a whole, I, I and my board and I have talked a lot about this. It's not really our job to expand rekindling. It's our job to be developing the material, offering the studies, doing the podcast, etc., and leave the marketing kind of to the side right now, and just let it expand or kind of organically and at the timing of God and that kind of deal. So it took a whole lot of pressure off of me that I don't have to market and increase rekindling. We're just doing our work and it'll happen as it happens. So in the same way me getting more glory, me getting more resplendent heaviness, it's really nice to think about, and I feel free because I don't have to do that. Hmm. 
that he he's going to do it on his time and so it all come it, it, even like for example the odds of me getting a castle in this life are pretty slim um but i i kind of feel like at some point in heaven if i if i can get a castle living great so i don't have the pressure to raise a bunch of funds to build myself a castle or buy one right because it probably happened in heaven um, and so it takes a lot of that pressure off of, of knowing that I'll get this resplendent heaviness as, as he kind of wants to dole it out. The other big application for me was actually going back to how I treat people in this gl- glory love debate. Right. Mm. Uh, and just practically speaking, constantly refining the words that I'm using so that it's getting more communicated well. And that if somebody is all a, a glorified person. Uh, it's not that I'm supposed to take that off their plate, but just but make sure maybe love is already on the plate. But if it's not, add love to the plate. Mm-hmm. And that was helpful for me to kind of balance all that out. So, so those are just some of our takeaways and 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 and, and applications that we have. Because you know, I say this all the time, and this is from Pastor Andrew. It's about transformation, not just information. And so we give you this information. We, we, we research the information, but so that we can transform it and changes in real ways. So for you, the listener, it's up to you now to think through what are the takeaways? What, what was the, what was the big things kind of jumping out at you as you went through this? You may, may want to go back and, and listen to it a second time or a third time or whatever. Um, and, and so what, 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 what had jumped out and got your attention? What are you going to remember from this point forward when you're telling somebody about this podcast, what are the points that you're going to highlight that you, that you just really liked uh, or didn't like, right? Yeah. Um, and then application, there needs to be a transformation. You, none of us are where we need to be completely, you know, long-term. Mm-hmm. You need to make a change. I need to make a change. Every one of us needs to make some change. What change do you need to make when it comes to the glory of God and, and glorifying things? Um, even for just one little thing, right? So, so make a decision on that. And so, so we'll leave it at, at that. That's how, that's how we'll wrap it up. Um, so next week we'll be rolling out the, uh, the next uh, um, topic, which is interdeterminism, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so we're going to be going into... Uh, I, 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 I still want to just start ex- discussing oh, yeah. now, but we can't. So the interdeterminism is just going to have to listen. Yeah, to just it. have to listen. <laughs> it's figuring out how God accomplishes. Yeah, how God interacts with life, how He accomplishes what He accomplishes, or when things happen, why did they happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who had what role or factor in making that happen. And so, so we're going to get in, and this is uh, free will and determinism and sovereignty. Uh, all of these things are, 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 are going to come into that discussion, and we're, we're going to work through other definitions and all that stuff. It's, really, it's going to be a fun, uh, I think, awesome topic. So, so tune in next week for that. So we love you guys. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at rekindlingministries.com, or you can go to the website, rekindlingministries.org, uh, and we can talk further about it. So thanks very much, and and have a great evening.